I have been putting together talks like these for better than 25 years now, and I can't really tell you how it works. Sometimes it's easy. It's very natural. It all comes spilling out on paper, and then it all comes spilling out here out of my mouth. And at other times, it's like my friend Buster used to say, it's like pushing a rope. What a great phrase. It's like pushing a rope. It just doesn't fuse together. There are starts and stops and fits of creativity and hours of despair. So I was putting these talks together, thinking about the individual subjects that would arise as we move through the latter section of the book of Genesis. And I came to our text today, Genesis 40, and I sort of hit the creative wall, speaker's block, writer's block. Because in Genesis 40, our emerging hero, Joseph, for the first time speaks of his past. This is the first time he brings up the pain of yesterday. I'm guided by the words of Frederick Beekner, whom I quote regularly. He says, the preacher is not called to be an actor or a magician. He is called to be himself. He is called to tell the truth as he has experienced it. He is called to be human. To be human. And that is calling enough for anyone. If he does not make real to his listeners the human experience... Anything else he tries to say becomes suspect. And nothing is more honest, nothing is more visceral, nothing is more universally human than when we take on, like Joseph had to do, our past. Not history, per se. It's the individual, nostalgic, good old days of, of yore, or the intensely personal and painful regret-filled days of yesteryear. So I was sitting in my office, this upper room here, thinking about how the past controls so many folks. And I was thinking, too, about how the future might be frightening for all of us. Who knows what will happen next? 2020 has proven that much. But the past can really hurt us. It can trap us. It can cause us to suffer like little else. Our injustices, our stupidity, our regrets, these lay down deep, deep tracks in our brain and our thoughts run these grooves time and time again like a train that cannot jump the rails. And it's why whenever I have asked, and I've asked this question recently on some Wednesday nights, would you rather know the future or go back and change something in your past? The majority of people always want to go back and change something. So I'm thinking about this, this honest human experience of the past, meditating on it, sitting with it. A random playlist is turning out quiet acoustic music on my computer, a few songs into it, and I hear the Beatles, and I hear these lines. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Paul McCartney wrote that song, as I have cataloged in the past, after having a dream, like Joseph. The Beatles were on the skids. They were suffering from their success. They were headed for breakup, and McCartney himself was a wreck. He was lost. He was confused. He was a drunk. He began to feel this wrenching misery from his past, and he wished that he could somehow talk to his mother again. Her name was Mary, and she died when Paul McCartney was only 14 years old. And McCartney says his mother came to him in a dream in his sleep, and she said to him, Paul, there will be an answer, but you have to let it be. And McCartney awoke, went to his piano, and wrote that magnificent song. 
But Paul McCartney, like our emerging hero Joseph, had multiple dreams, dreams that produced really good music. Years before Let It Be, in the summer of 1964, the Beatles were everything to rock and roll. Paul was in the height of his career. Paul was in a fitful sleep as well, exhausted from touring and making movies and living the high life. A tune his father used to play kept rolling around in his dreams over and over. And he got up and he went to the piano and he tried to hammer it out. It was an old jazz song, no lyrics, just a melody. He got a few chords down on paper, but got stuck. For a year, a year, he worked on this tune until people around him were so sick of hearing it that one record producer threatened to sell his piano if he ever heard that song played again. John Lennon nicknamed this song the Scrambled Egg Song. First, because it was a mess and it hadn't been worked out. It had no lyrics. It did not have a full chord progression. And also because it only began with a definite three-syllable da-da-da. And John Lennon said, scrambled eggs. Nothing but scrambled eggs. Because they had no other lyrics to put in that place. So for nine, ten months, it went like this. Scrambled eggs. And then on a long car ride, McCartney finally worked out the tune and the lyrics that had come to him in his dream. Here is what Sir Paul McCartney says. I started getting these little one-word openings. I started to develop the idea. Scrambled eggs. Da, da, da. And I knew the syllables had to match the melody, obviously. Suddenly. Yesterday. Oh, that's good, I thought. All my troubles seemed so far away. And when Paul McCartney arrived at his destination, he jumped out of the passenger seat of that car. He borrowed a guitar, mercifully not a piano this time, and started playing the song we all know today as Yesterday. He brought it to the studio as an acoustic demo, just him and his guitar. Ringo loved it and said drums would only mess it up. John and George agreed, saying that more guitars would only get in the way of these magnificent lyrics that had finally emerged. And thus it is that rare Beatles song that is a true solo. And it is the one of the group's most recognizable tunes to this day. And John Lennon, before he died, said that whenever he would go to a restaurant or a coffee shop or, a, or walking down the street and there would be a street musician or a local performer, it was always yesterday as the song they were playing. And I have to say, it's a really hard song to play. It's definitely a jazz melody, which is not my forte by a long shot as you saw in the video. So much so that I had asked our dear friend Nick Turner to play and sing this song for today. Nick is by far a far, far superior guitar player than I am. And he has a much higher range uh, than I have. And so he gave it a try, and then he texted me, and he said, man, I keep going flat on this song. This sucker is hard. And I said, yeah, I know. That's why I wanted you to do it and not me. I wanted somebody else to give it a try. And so we decided that we would try to record it together. He would play it, and I would try to sing it, though a couple steps lower than the original version. But on the day we were to record this week, Nick had a uh, MS flare-up, and he couldn't even, God love him, he couldn't even hold a pick in his hand, much less make those complex chord progressions in 
one of the more complex songs in the Beatles songbook. So I gave it my best, as you saw, and it took multiple takes, as you saw, and I was only comforted by the fact that at least it took Paul McCartney a full year to get it right himself. I'm not Paul McCartney, obviously, but I know about yesterday, and you do too. When life is good, yesterday is where we put our pain. It's behind us, stowed away like keepsakes in an attic. It's there, but not where we have to sift through it or be hurt by it. Because yesterday is so yesterday. When, yet, when life is tough, when life is bad, yesterday is where we were at our best. Yesterday is where the good old days lived. Yesterday is the place we wish we could return. When we are sad, yesterday is nostalgic. Yesterday is a sepia-toned memory book, a place we can visit and mourn. When we are depressed, yesterday is the garden where all the seeds of our regret were first planted. Yesterday is where we were sabotaged by others or by ourselves. It's where everything went wrong. When we are hopeful, yesterday is the encouragement that we can make it. Because we made it through the past, surely we can make it again. Regardless, yesterday is always with us. Always. Whether that means our troubles were so far away, if we were half the people we used to be, if it's where something went wrong and for that for which we long, or if it's where we wish we could hide away, we believe in, we run from, we feel it hanging over us, we wish we could expunge it, we wish we could change it, we wish we could go back to it yesterday. It is always there. What will you do with it? What will your relationship with yesterday be? For his part, Joseph is now in process with his past. And as I said earlier, this is the first time in his story that he even mentions it. But it has always been there. When Joseph first appears on the pages of the scriptures, he is a child. He is meeting his uncle Esau for the first time. His mother is still alive. When he comes back, he begins to take center stage. He is now 17. His mother has passed, and he is the favored son of his father. He begins to have these incredible dreams of his family bowing down to him. His brothers, out of jealousy and hatred, betray him and sell him as a slave into a foreign land. He is acquired by a man named Potiphar. While he is there, he works hard. He earns respect. He is put in charge of Potiphar's entire household, but then he is accused falsely of a rape. He is thrown into prison, and it's in this prison that he first tells someone his story. He is now 28 years old. So for more than a decade, his has been a scrambled egg kind of song, a scrambled egg kind of life. It's a mess. And this isn't a year of working out a tune in the words. It is 11 years of injustice. And the reason he brings it up now is for the first time, the first time he meets someone who might be influential in changing his fortune. I'll not repeat the entire text as you have heard it already. Pharaoh sends two of his closest attendants, members of his staff, to jail. 
These are high-level prisoners, and Joseph takes charge of them because Joseph is now a trustee in the the prison, and the warden trusts him. One of the prisoners is Pharaoh's cupbearer, we might say his butler or his wine taster, and the other is Pharaoh's baker, the cook, the royal chef. chef. And scholars say that these two guys being thrown into jail together indicate probably a conspiracy has been discovered against Pharaoh. Somebody probably tried to poison the king. So the two men closest to the crime, one in charge of what the king drank and one in charge of what the king ate, are held in jail as the investigation is conducted to find out who the assassin is. Both the men have a dream. And Joseph, well acquainted with dreams and all their implication, interprets these dreams, and he lets the cupbearer, the butler, know that he will be found innocent and restored to the palace. The baker would be found guilty and summarily executed. And the dreams of these men come true, and the dreams of, of these two men in this chapter always get a lot of attention, and that is fair enough. But the dreams are not the main story here, not really. These men and their dreams are used by the author of this narrative to show how Joseph will eventually make it to the pinnacle of world power. These guys and their dreams are the bridge that Joseph will eventually walk across into the future. But first, there is yesterday. This is Genesis 40, 14 and 15, repeating Joseph speaks to the cupbearer, the butler, and here are his instructions to him. Please remember me and do me a favor. When things go well for you, mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. And then here it comes for the first time. He makes the confession. For I was kidnapped from my homeland the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. I read a commentary where the writer said, quote, This is the first place that Joseph apparently loses faith and takes matters into his own hands, attempting to orchestrate his own rescue, failing to trust God. Joseph is watching his youth waste away. He is in a land he made no choice to travel to. He is in a situation he did not create. He is in prison for a crime he did not commit. He has been victimized by enough injustice to fill ten lifetimes, much less his three decades. And this is losing faith? This is taking matters into his own hands? I don't think so. He has begun to integrate his past. He has had long enough now, not just to sit and sour on his situation, not just to have a pity party, though no one would blame him for that. He now sees his past for what it is, what it was. It was wrong. It was unjust. It was was unfair. But he has had to sit still And face it. Nelson Mandela, the late 
president of South Africa, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1983. He was a political prisoner in South Africa under apartheid for 27 years. In his memoir, he says this, I was generally busy from 7 a.m. unto midnight. I never had time to sit and think. As I worked, physical and mental fatigue set in, and I was unable to operate to the maximum of my intellectual ability. And then he says, but in a single cell in prison, (laughs) I guess, I had time to think. I had a clear view of my past and present, and I found that my past left much to be desired, both in regard to my relations with others and with myself. Dealing with your past, answering that question, what will my relationship be with my personal history, begins with admitting it, facing it, and integrating it. Joseph is in jail, as Mandela was, but for both men, it was there, in jail, that they began to break free from the prison of yesterday. What has Joseph been doing for the last decade of his life? Grinding, man. Working. Making the most of a terrible situation. Processing. And in his own way, succeeding. He keeps rising to the top no matter where he goes. Showing death-defying resiliency. What is the saying about making an omelet? It's a French proverb. To make an omelet, you have to do what? Break a few eggs. Things are going to get messy before they get better. What looks like a disaster can turn into something beautiful. You're going to have to go through some cracking and some breaking in order for the final product to come to fruition. And now we're back to John Lennon nicknaming yesterday the scrambled egg song. That's what your past is. And you can't unscramble it. You can't put the Humpty Dumpty egg back together again. But you can do something with it. And I think Joseph is a case study in Viktor Frankl's most famous observation. Frankl was a famed Jewish Holocaust survivor, brilliant Austrian psychiatrist. He observed the worst possible conditions in the concentration camps. He experienced the worst possible conditions in those camps. And reflecting upon them, he said, everything can be taken from a person, but one thing, the last of all human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. You don't think Joseph would have taken a mulligan, a do-over, Of course he would have, wouldn't we all? But that's not an option. It's not an option that will ever be given to any of us. We can only choose to take the scrambled pieces of the past, accept it, face it, and try to move forward with it. But before you go forward, you got to stir those broken eggs. You have to sit still with yesterday. No, I hope you don't have to go to prison for an extended period of time to sit still. But you must, you must take the time to ask some tough questions of yourself. Who has harmed me? Who have I harmed? Why am I holding on to those things back there? Why do I have this grudge, 
this resentment? What have I given up on? What keeps me going back to the past? This isn't therapy, though. I have never met a single person who can't be helped with three or four or 40 sessions of therapy. This is the work. The lion's share of our spiritual work. Listen, my friends, the work of our souls always seems to come down to making some kind of peace with what others did to us or what we have done to ourselves. It always comes back to yesterday. Mandela, one last time. Blaming the past cannot help you. You must face your past. You must. It is the only way not to destroy your future. And that is the beginning of making good omelets from badly broken scrambled eggs.